0: I just feel uh, strongly a uh, prophetic word for Catherine. I don't know how many Cathys we have here, but if someone goes by Catherine as well, just stand up. We wanna, I want to just share uh, Catherine that uh, the Lord says that though your wings have been broken, they have been clipped, I'm going to restore them and you're going to reach greater heights and you feel that you've been broken and God is going to restore you. He wants you to know that. So rise up and Be healed. And let the Lord be that, that wind that's going to lift you up. He will restore you in your healing in your spirit. And what's been broken, God is going to mend. And I feel that very strongly this morning for you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Let's turn to the Word of the Lord. Would you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4? We are in 1 Peter, a study that Peter is teaching and he wrote to the church at large that was dispersed, encouraging them to sustain through troubled and perilous times. And it happens that as we are in our study today concerning suffering for Christ, today happens to be persecuted church Sunday. Where we are praying for the persecuted church around the world. Churches around the world are praying for our sisters and our brothers who are being persecuted. And it won't be long when that includes everyone. Let me give to you some statistics concerning the persecuted church or Christians at large. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century than in all other centuries combined. Christians are the most persecuted religious group worldwide. 75% of all those persecuted for their faith are Christians. Currently, over 100 million Christians are being persecuted worldwide. An average of at least 180 Christians around the world are killed each month for their faith. It's claimed that 105,000 Christians are martyred for their faith every year. Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their government or surrounding neighbors simply because of their faith in Jesus. In 41 out of the 50 worst nations for persecution, Christians are persecuted by Islamic extremists. This is happening around the world. It's happening right now. And this is the body of Christ. And so we go to our text this morning found in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12. This is... Written very early on in church history, and it is staying true today for us, for you and I. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Peter talks about persecution. He talks about suffering as if it is to be expected. And he says this in John 15:20 Jesus said remember the word that I said to you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will also persecute you if they kept my word they will also keep yours so the expectation is how the world treated Jesus is how they'll treat his followers that would indicate then a mark of a follower of Jesus is whether you're being persecuted or not. Isn't that an interesting concept? He said, if they've accepted my word, they'll accept yours. We're to be the mouthpiece of the Lord Jesus. We're to speak his words under the same unction, under the same authority, by the same Holy Spirit. It will get the same results. Many will get saved. Many will come to the Lord. But many will reject money will revile, and many will turn against you. And so that's the expectation. Second Timothy Paul says this, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we need to have a different take on this. We're Americans. God bless America. America's Christian. At, last, at least that's what we used to be able to say. But that time period is over. And God used it so that we could bring the gospel to many nations. Through our prosperity, we were able to flood this planet with missionaries and the Word of God and Bibles and so forth. But that season is coming to an end. And what's coming with it is persecution. We understand this to be true. So we need to be sober-minded as we take a look at this. Peter said this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, I find that an interesting verse, isn't it? It's like, what are you people so surprised at? Why do you think this is unusual? And he calls it a fiery trial. He specifically uses the word in the Greek that means pyros, fire, fire. Pyromaniac, right? Why, why are you so surprised that this fiery trial... Now, why do you think Peter would use the term fiery trial? We know that Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, the three Hebrew boys, were thrown into a fiery furnace, weren't they? Maybe he's indicating that persecution is, is just like that. They wouldn't bow at any idol, and so they were cast into a fire. But even more specifically, he's saying your fiery trial is because at this time, Nero was burning Christians. He was hanging them up, crucifying them, di- dipping them in tar, and burning them and causing them to be flames in his courtyard so that he could light his gardens in the evening. And so he was specifically speaking to the fiery trial that they themselves had. And he says, I don't want you to be surprised by this. You shouldn't be Wondering how could this be happening when Jesus himself said that they will treat you as they treated me and you'll understand that blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. He said this shouldn't surprise you. Do not. He uses the word twice. He said this is not something strange and this should not surprise you. You should not be astonished. You should not be shocked. Again, if you know the gospel and how Jesus was treated... The church will also be treated in this manner. And so, we should not be surprised by this. It shouldn't be strange to any of us, but this is America. We have rights, we have freedoms, as our government demands. And as you saw, how many governments are opposed to Christianity? Forty out of the fifty were that government-sanctioned persecution. And uh, it seems to me that if there's any sanctioning going on right now by political correctness and governmental authority, everybody seems to be looking the other way when it comes to persecution to Christianity in America. Now, why would they persecute us? Well, the church opposes sin. The church calls out that which is sin, and as prophets we declare what is sin right and what is wrong we speak against murder we speak against cruelty we speak out against the weak the unborn we speak against that which is sin we call the sin of the land to repentance why wouldn't we be persecuted are we doing those things and i think we're starting to feel the necessity to do those things because basically our culture is in the toilet And Christians are now beginning to speak out about it because the the extremism towards sin and immorality is encroaching on every aspect of our life and culture. Our entertainment is saturated with it. Uh, The personal liberties of people is saturated with it. And so now comes the defining moment of the American church. And guess what, folks? In that defining moment... It defines us as what? Those opposed to these things. Therefore, what will come with it? Persecution. Don't be surprised, don't be amazed can write your congressmen. we can speak about the laws that we have we can go to the constitution we can declare what it says there and here but ultimately brothers and sisters you've got to understand one thing if you're going to live like jesus talk like jesus and speak out as christ did you will be persecuted don't be surprised by this don't be shocked by this Where's God in all of this? Why isn't he stopping it? And Peter even emphasizes this, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but even in fact, don't be surprised with God that he allows it. That's the rub. That's where most of us get confounded. God, how could you let this happen to me? Well, for 2,000 years, God's been allowing it to happen to his church worldwide. We've developed ways to get out from under it. Let's get raptured out of here so it doesn't affect us. So we won't get hurt. Because God loves us and he wouldn't want anyone to hurt us. Jesus made a promise. You shall have tribulation with you always. We're avoiding the wrath of God because of the blood of Jesus. We'll not experience the wrath of God. But we will and it is expected to endure the wrath of man. Why? Because we're the salt and the light. And men love the darkness. So Peter, first of all, puts it out there as this is not strange to God. It's not strange to the Christian church. It's not strange to believers. If you are following God with your whole heart and working and acting as Christ, you will be persecuted, okay? It's not odd for that to happen. So why, I would ask the question, why persecution? Why does God allow this? And let me give you six points as to why there is persecution taken from our text today with First Peter. Number one is this. It's an assurance of our faith. If you're being persecuted for your faith, you can be sure of your light shining. So number one, you're being effective. You may not like it, but you're being effective. The gospel is becoming effective. Now, we are upset with the way our culture is. Now we may have, and it may have been on our watch, and previous generation's watch, but we've seen the morality of our country fail and our Christianity become weaker and weaker and weaker as we've looked towards programs and events for people instead of saving souls. It's become weaker and weaker, but now on our watch, this day, today, our faith needs to rise up and you're going to see greater persecution. It is going to divide the body of Christ classic example is same-sex marriage you've got half of the congregations in the united states embracing it and accepting it the other half saying no we speak against this it is a sin it is not right we pray that the homosexual may be saved may be delivered we care for them we love for them but it is not what god prescribes for life and happiness and so even in the church you see this dividing line don't you Because God says judgment starts where? The house of God. And what's the judgment coming to the church? Are you going to obey my word or not? Five weeks of sermons. They're already done, so we don't need them anymore. Hopefully you remembered them. Right? Right? Pastor, are you encouraging persecution? Absolutely. Absolutely. Unequivocally. Beca- I couldn't even say that word. Because it demonstrates whether our faith is active and alive. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What is he saying? You are prophets. And if you're acting in the office of prophets, you're calling out sin. You're being effective in your society as light against darkness. And the ultimate result will be persecution. But rejoice in that, because you're being effective as all the prophets before you. And so you're salt. When salt loses its savor, it's ineffective and gets trampled on. The church has been trampled on for the last 30 years because we've lost any saltiness in this society. So this is the last bus on this ride here for this church. Stand out. But pastor, they may say things against me. They are already if you're a believer. If you're not aware of that. You're hate mongers. You're intolerant people. Well, we speak what is true. Now, we do this. Remember this, folks. We do this in the Spirit of Christ. We don't do it in the flesh. We don't war against flesh. We war against principalities. So we walk in the meekness and in the humility, always giving an answer with all respect and gentleness to others. We don't fight. We don't scream. We don't holler. We don't arm ourselves. Our warfare is in the heavenlies. But we speak the truth, what? In love. Number one, persecution shows, as Peter is saying, that our faith is effective. And it's an effective witness. He says this, I don't want you persecuted for being a murderer or a cheat or stealing. I don't want you boo-hooing in jail because you did something against the law. What I want you is if you're going to be in jail, I want you there because your witness to Christ is what puts you there. That's what he's basically saying. Some of you spent some time in jail. How many of you stood in abortion, at abortion clinics? How many of you in the past years, when you were arrested, you were pulled out for sitting in front of the doors of an abortion clinic and they would arrest you and charge you with misdemeanors and so forth? Many of you paid fines for those kind of things. Many of you, again, are going to have to stand your ground and may be arrested for some of the actions that will be taken in our government. But you're willing as a Christian to make a declaration. We see the lady who would not issue marriage warrants, uh, uh, marriage licenses, and so forth. She didn't say anything bad. She didn't say anything against it. She just said, I cannot do that. The law changed on me. I stayed the same. And she paid the consequences, and rightly so. But she had her voice heard. And this is what we're talking about. Faith now showing up. So that's the first thing he does. Secondly, he says this. It's the privilege of being united with Christ's suffering. Peter says you share in Christ's suffering. And the Greek word for share is fellowship, koinonia. And it's not just an identifying, it is becoming one with one another. So when we are persecuted, we are becoming one with the Lord Jesus Christ in what he suffered. Paul says this in Colossians, now I rejoice in my sufferings, For your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. This is a very peculiar scripture. Does it mean that the crucifixion of Jesus is insufficient for our salvation? Not at all. Did Paul have to finish what was lacking for the atonement? Not at all. It is a finished work you cannot add to the atonement. What he's saying though is that suffering for righteousness' sake is going to continue in the body of Christ and we are filling it up until the full stature or return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, you have the privilege of being united with Christ in the work of the cross. In suffering through love for others. Let's remember, this is not about me and my rights. This is about being persecuted for the sake of the gospel being preached to win another soul. If this is a fight for you to say, I've got rights too, you're on the wrong bank. You're, you're, You're moving the wrong direction. This is us saying we have the ability to speak this gospel so that some can be saved. You can't silence me because there's too many going to hell. I must speak on their behalf. Of course you can use the tact. You can use the fact that we have a constitution. You can use the thing that we have a, a, a rights and civil rights in our country. Go ahead and use that. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. The motivation of your heart is to win the lost. And when you are doing this, Paul says, you are filling up. The, the the rest of the suffering of Christ for all humanity. That's what he's saying. I'm suffering so that some may be saved, that many can be saved. And what he says, he'll go on to say later is it has importance and effect. In fact, he says this. Peter goes on and says, Rejoice! Rejoice. He says, Rejoice in so far as you share. Christ's sufferings, that's the privilege of sharing his suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Look it. We want to be part-time Christians. We all look for the glory. We, I can get you guys to all go, hallelujah, Jesus is coming back. Praise God. When he comes back, man, we'll have the glory of God. How many of you want to see him and I'll be there riding on a horse with him? Yeah. Jesus! Let's praise Him! But for now, let's join Him in His suffering and be afflicted. <laughs> Crickets. And this is what Peter's saying. Look at if you're looking to the glory then you must join Him in the fellowship of suffering. Rejoice in this. If you're going to rejoice in that, rejoice in this. We've got a job to do, people. We've got a world to be won. Our commission is not eat, live, and be happy. Our commission is go and win the lost. Our commission is reach them at the cost of your own life. Reach them because one spent His life for you. So repeat that action over and over and over again. And so rejoice in the trials of your persecution and suffering because that means your faith is active, it's showing up, and you are joining in the suffering of winning the lost with Christ Jesus. There's no higher privilege than that. That's what Peter is saying in this portion of scripture and there are people around the world right now living out their faith you've met them you'll meet another one in a couple of weeks pastor nahum curry from the bethlehem church in palestine has been shot two three times because of his faith he continues to preach he continues to suffer they continue to do this work why so that they can win the lost man this is what it's all about and you've heard the testimonies and all of us want to join in on that so he says rejoice That you may know Him in the power of His resurrection. I want to know that. And you may share, again, the koinonia of His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. How are you and I going to become like Him in His death? Are they going to crucify us? Well, some of you may be crucified. I'll never forget in China, last time I was there, sitting with the students that I was teaching These young people from ages 20 to 25, 27 years old were sharing with me the dreams and visions that God had given them as to the Muslim nations they were going to die in. Excited to say, I'm going to die in Iraq. God has shown me that I'm going to die in Afghanistan. That I'm going to be able to give my life and preach the gospel unto death. These kids knew their assignment already. They were studying the Word, ready to go when God would release them. And God had already given them visions of where. How can you join God, become like Him in His death? How can you become like Christ in your death? It's not the mode of death. Is it that we'll be beaten? Maybe. But the way we become like Him in His death is dying for another. This is our emphasis there were, in the early church, we, there was a problem because of so much persecution that people began to wear it like a badge. I was persecuted for this. Now I'm a better Christian than you are. I was persecuted and they, they chopped my fingers off, so I'm better than you are. You only got beaten. I got this. I got that. And that was a problem in the early church. And that is not what we're measuring here. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is loving Christ so much that you're willing to give your life for the sake of another. That we would die like Christ. Why did Christ die? To win the lost. To bring another to Him. And that's what Paul's telling us. We've got the power of the resurrection in our lives, but let's understand the fellowship of His suffering. And what we've made witnessing is a convenience Instead of a duty. And so that's what he's talking about. Now he goes on, Peter goes on and he says, it ignites the faith of others. God, I believe, is using in these last days the Chinese church, the Iranian church. Do you know that there's a revival going right now in Iran? We heard it. You remember last year's mission convention? That there is revival in Iran. The church is on fire. There's a revival in China that is... uh, unprecedented and around the world in pakistan and and, in other regions where people are giving their lives are preaching the gospel and what's happening is as the governments and as 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 these uh, leaders are trying to squelch it, it it's like trying to stamp out a fire and as they stamp it the embers fly out and ignite others Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I love that. They arrested Paul, put him in prison. Now he's got a prison ministry. The entire imperial guard knows about Jesus. Take him out and beat him, boys. And while he's being beat, he preaches to him. He shares the love of God. So many, I hear so many testimonies from the, the Chinese that as they were being persecuted and as they were praying and speaking to those who were persecuting them, they've never seen such a faith. And they said, I must believe in this God that you serve. Because despite my beating you, you still love me. It's amazing. Paul said, I've got the Imperial Guard hearing about Christ. I've got everybody. The rest that are in prison with me, all the prisoners. They need hope in prison. How many of you know that? And they're preaching. So this gospel, he says, this persecution is advancing our faith. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and much more bold to speak the word without fear. That is tremendous. And so this kind of preaching, this kind of clamping down is actually creating a fire that advances the gospel. Many believers in China, when we would ask, uh, what can we pray for, for you in their situation, they would say, pray that we would be faithful. What would you want for the American church? Their answer, persecution. That you would be refined in your faith because you failed in your prosperity. Prosperity does not increase faith. Although we can send our checks to spend money to put missionaries abroad, we ourselves need to be ignited. Paul says that this has done a powerful work persecution actually worked how many of you remember that jesus is the one who sent persecution to the church in jerusalem because it was not doing its job they would not disperse didn't he tell them to be witnesses throughout all the known regions right samaria judea and the uttermost parts of the earth and they stayed in jerusalem god said please move on they wouldn't he sent persecution guess what they moved on and the gospel advanced so god uses this kind of persecution Number five, the Spirit will meet you in it. He promises that. The Spirit will meet you. He said in verse 14, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Something happens when you are being persecuted for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, he said it it, it means that your faith is ignited. Secondly, it it means that you are have the privilege of joining Christ in suffering for the lost. Thirdly, you rejoice uh, in this kind of suffering um, because as you rejoice in His return, you can rejoice in the suffering. Fourthly, it ignites faith and it makes it active. And last, five, he says because the Spirit meets you in it. I can speak to myself personally. Um, six years ago when I was arrested in China and being interrogated uh, waiting in the nights in that hotel room not knowing what was going to come I I, I had a a fellowship in the spirit that I had never had with God before in my life and a sense of courage and a sense of what will be will be I don't know if my life is going to end today or not Um, it went quite well we were just kicked out of the country for five or six years but I didn't know what was coming. But in that, the Spirit of God rested upon me. I have a lot of personal testimonies of how God encouraged me in that moment. Now there are many who have lost their lives, lost their heads, have been beaten and afflicted. But there's an anointing that comes with it in suffering with Christ. I didn't suffer. I really didn't. But for, for many who suffer, there's an anointing that comes. Does it stop the pain? No. For many, when they got their head chopped off, guess what? It hurt. When they're beaten, guess what? It hurts. When they're arrested, I heard tremendous testimonies of how God would interrupt meetings and tell them to leave so they wouldn't get arrested. But that was the unusual. Most of the time they were arrested and taken and beaten and suffered. Did it hurt? Yes. Did they suffer loss? Yes. But there is a fellowship and a glory in the Spirit that goes deeper beyond your possessions and your own physical pain that says, God is with me. And there's no anointing like that. And it will give you courage for the next time you will have to face it. He says, The Spirit is with you, brothers and sisters. Last of all, He says, Your faith will be tried and purified. Listen to this. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. You can trust Him. Now this is going to throw a monkey wrench in American Christianity and the prosperity movement, but it is God's will to suffer. What are we going to do with that? Let those who suffer according to God's will. Now there's suffering that is not God's will. But there is suffering that is God's will. And the suffering he's talking about is laying your life down for the gospel. It is God's will that every believer would lay their lives down for the gospel. I said it last week. God's been putting this on my heart. And I don't know where it's going to lead me. But I've only got one death to give. I better make it good. We need to begin thinking like that. I want to give my life. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. I know where I'm going, so I want that one opportunity to be powerful. I don't want to fade away. I want to give my testimony. I want to suffer for God's will and His purpose. What does that mean? I have no idea what it means in my life or your life, but what it means is, We overcome the devil by what? The blood of the Lamb. The word of our testimony. Don't stop there. Don't you dare stop there. I've taught you well enough. You better quote the whole Scripture. What's the third part? Don't rapture out on me on that Scripture. Don't leave. And they counted not their lives even unto death. That's Christianity. Count on the blood. Count on the testimony. But here... Know that it's God's will that you have given your life. Can I tell you something? You already gave it. This thing's done. You already gave your life when you accepted Christ as your Savior. Now, you have an opportunity to give it over and over every day. Every day. Don't shrink back. And so, it is God's will. And so, I have to ask you this question in closing. Can God use you as kindling for the fire of His testimony. Because He said, do not count it strange that you entered a fiery trial. Will you be the kindling for the next fire? Pastor, are you telling me to lay my life down? No, I'm not. Jesus is. I'm just telling you what He said. And so this is true Christianity and Peter says, stand, hang in there. And we close with Hebrews chapter 13. When asked those who are suffering right now, there's one body, there's one people, there's one church. We are suffering persecution. In this area, in this room of the house, everything's pretty good right now. But two rooms down, all over the world, Christians are dying. It won't be long till they knock on our bedroom. And so, what do they ask? Pray for us. Pray for us. Because as Peter says, it is a privilege, it is the will of God, and it is an opportunity for the faith to increase. So remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let us pray for our body, the church. Let us not pray for them Let us pray for us. Until you get that mindset, you'll not fully understand the persecuted. It's us, not them. Amen? It is us. Stand with me this morning.